Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The question before us today is very simple. Can you hear the angels singing? The answer is equally simple. Either you can or you can't. Either you do or you don't. Can you hear the angels singing? You know, the shepherds heard the angels, and it scared the pajamas out of them. Do you know that? That's one thing angels do. They scare people. They frighten people. The angel told Joseph, fear not. Gabriel said to Mary, fear not. The angel told the shepherds, fear not. Now, by definition, an angel is out of this world. They come from another place. They come from another realm of reality in another dimension. Now, one moment you got a bunch of probably teenage boys who were shepherds in those days out in their fields watching their flocks by night, not in December because there'd be snow in the ground and not in December because that's not lambing season in Israel, probably in March or April. That just blew your whole Christmas, didn't it, to know Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December? But they're out there watching the flocks by night, minding their own business, and the next moment, boom, there's an angel. And an angel is talking to them. Then out of nowhere comes this multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now in Bible class this morning, we discovered that the Greek word for multitude of heavenly hosts is an army of angels. There's an army suddenly appears in front of them. That word multitude, it means opposite what it means. You think about an uncountable number, this whatever it would be, a vast array of bright, shining beings filling the sky, praising God. And I have a feeling it was pretty loud. And by the way, it didn't say that they suddenly broke into the hallelujah chorus. In fact, it doesn't even say that they sang, does it? It said they joined together in saying, glory to God in the highest. I think one of the most telling words in our text, and I'm using part of Luke chapter 2, is this word in verse 13, suddenly. Great word, suddenly. It means without warning. It means without any prior announcement. It means the angels weren't there. And to paraphrase John Madden, boom, there they were. Now, I think some questions would come to mind at this time. What would it have been like had you been there? If you'd been there, would you have seen the angels? You ever stop and think about this? Bethlehem wasn't all that big. Little wide spot in the road. Did the people in Bethlehem see or hear the angels? Could the people in Jerusalem, eight miles away, see the angels? Did they hear them? Could the sound of this multitude of the heavenly host be heard anywhere else? Or was it only heard by 
those shepherds out in the fields watching their flocks by night? Well, the answer is, I don't know. I mean, we, we can't fully answer these questions, but this much is certain. The angels were really there, and the shepherds really did hear them. That's why I ask you, this morning at any point as we sang any of those carols, or as we heard any of those lessons, did you hear the angels singing? I'm going to give you the answer again. Either you did or you didn't. The shepherds heard them. Mary probably heard him. Joseph probably heard him. Baby Jesus probably said, heard that before. He heard him. But I don't think Herod heard a thing. See, that's really important because the great divide in the world comes right here. Some people see angels and others don't. Some people hear the angels. Some don't. Some people believe in the supernatural. Others don't. I'm going to give you two different witnesses and share what they believe about the supernatural. I'm going to start in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a story about Elisha the prophet, and he has a servant, and they're out there, and they know that the entire Aramean army is surrounding the city of Dothan. And seeing the enemy on every side, the servant says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says very simply, do not be afraid, which is what the angels always say, but do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And at that point, I'm sure the servant looked out there and thought, I see an army all the way around the city, and I see here we are, and I see very little. But then the Bible says that Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Have you all heard this story before, right? Some of you are looking like me, like, where did I get this one from? It says, So the Lord opened the eyes of this young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I mean, suddenly he saw God's army completely encircling the Aramean army, completely encircling the city of Dothan, completely encircling Elisha and this servant. Now, guess what? The angels were always there. The servant simply didn't see them. When his eyes were opened, he saw that they were there all along. But you know, some people do not see because they don't want to see. I'll give you another witness here. The guy's name is Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is perhaps the most famous evolutionist in the world. He is a noted scientist, writer, an avowed atheist, and a fierce opponent of religion. He says, quote, those who do not believe in evolution are ignorant or brainwashed. So there you go. You've been called a name today by a well-known man. He believes that the world would be better off without religion because religion, he says, is based on superstition. In a recent BeliefNet interview on the Internet, he says, quote, you won't find any intelligent person who feels the need for the supernatural, end of quote. 
And he goes on to say that a world without religion would be paradise on earth. Now, how would you respond to a guy like that? I mean, some people visit the Grand Canyon and all they see is a big ditch. They kind of go, oh, okay. Saw a big ditch like that once in Texas. They all go back home. They miss one of the great wonders of God's creation. The same thing I'd say happens in the spiritual realm. People see what they want to see, and they don't see what they choose to ignore. Now, I'm old enough, some of you are old enough to remember the early days of space travel. Remember when they sent the Soviet cosmonauts up? I think they started with the dog, uh, but the cosmonaut. But the very first Russian cosmonaut who was shot up, I think his name was Yuri Gagarin, if I remember correctly, uh, he came back to Earth and he said, quote, I looked for God in space and I didn't see him anywhere. One pastor said after that, let him step out of his space suit for one second and he'll see God soon enough. <laughs> you know, it's impossible to miss the supernatural element of Christmas, the birth of Jesus. I mean, just say, angels pop up all over the place. An angel tells Mary what? Even though you're not married, you're going to give birth to a baby. You're going to call his name Jesus. An angel says, Joseph, don't worry about this. You're going to have a little baby boy conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have to give him the name Jesus. An angel shows up and says, Mary and Joseph, head to Egypt because Herod's out to kill all the baby boys. An angel comes to them and tells them when it's safe to go back to Israel. And then an angel announces the birth of Christ to the shepherds. An angel army choir, if you will, serenades them or at least speaks to them. But that's not all. On top of that, you got that mysterious star. You ever stop and think about that? That led these magi to wonder from wherever they came, from some distant land, all the way to Bethlehem, to the very house where they found this baby Jesus, and the Magi were warned how, in a dream, not to go back to Herod, but to go home a whole different way. So there you got it. I mean, what a weird, supernatural, out-of-this-world story. You've got angels and stars and dreams. You've got supernatural stuff all over the place. The stuff that Richard Dawkins says intelligent people don't believe in. Now, my point is not this morning to refute him, but to use him to illustrate one aspect of a truly Christian worldview. And it's this. We, you and I, believe in something that's absolutely amazing. You and I believe in something that, quite honestly, is out of this world. Now, I think sometimes, though, that we have heard these stories so often that we have forgot how astounding this Christmas story really is. See, we believe that this world that we inhabit, though, is not the real world. This is just a temporary place to hang out. We believe that there's another world. In fact, we believe that this other world is the real world. It's the world of God. It's the world of angels. It's the world of Christ. It's the world of the Holy Spirit. It's the world of heaven. It's the world of the saints. It's the world of the, uh, what the city of gold and the streets of gold and the fountains that run out of the throne of Christ. And guess what? These two worlds literally exist side by side. You ever stop and think about it? 
This world you and I live in is here, but that world that's in heaven is there too. We live in one world. For how long? Ten years? Twenty years? Or like my father-in-law, 96 years? But we believe in a whole other world. Or to use a New Testament word picture, we live in this world, but our citizenship is in another world. That's why the Bible calls us aliens and strangers. That's why often at a funeral service we sing what? I'm but a stranger here. I'm from another world. Heaven is my home. We are, as the song says, we are pilgrims on a journey. Pilgrims on a journey from the world passing away to the world that is going to last forever. We're looking for a city that's built on eternal, solid foundations whose builder and maker is God. My father-in-law was a craftsman. He was exacting. Oh, man, was he ever exacting. He'd drive you nuts if you ever worked with him. I know that because I tried. And some people said, well, now that Louis is gone, I bet he's going to go up there and help God make it better. And I said, no, he's not. Heaven is perfect. Doesn't mean he might not say, oh, can I take a look at this? See how it works. But this other world is perfect. The world you see around us, it's not going to last. I mean, this world of cars and trains and planes and buying and selling and investing and factories and offices and schools and universities and television and radio and Internet, the world of football or basketball and baseball, uh, the world of nations and presidents and tyrants and, you know, who hide in little spider holes in strange countries. All of that stuff one day is all going to be gone. First John 2, the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I mean, everything that man builds collapses before his eyes. And so it is with everything in this world. I want to read you a few lines from a poem that's called Gray's Elegy. It's written in a country churchyard in England. Just these few verses. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. See, is that right at this point, I think, where Christmas really ought to be very important to all of us. We are a dying race of people living on a dying planet. I mean, everything around us someday is going to completely disappear. And despite our best efforts, it's going to be gone. If we're going to be saved, guess what then? It means that salvation is not going to come from anything here. Salvation has got to come from something out there, somewhere out beyond us. It needs to come from the outside. That's the true meaning of Christmas, that salvation came from the outside in. Maybe you heard this reading. It's by J.B. Phillips. <clears throat> it's called The Visited Planet. It's about a junior angel who is being given a tour of the universe by a senior angel. And after touring all of the galaxies of the universe, they come at last to our solar system. 
And the junior angel is tired and bored and, to be quite honest, is not very impressed with our solar system. The senior angel points to planet Earth and he says, keep an eye on that planet. And the younger angel thinks the Earth looks small and dirty and insignificant. That is visited planet, says the senior angel. You don't mean, yes, that planet has been visited by our young prince of glory. Do you mean to tell me that he stoops so low as to become one of those creepy, crawly creatures on that floating ball? I do, and I don't think he'd like you to call them creepy, crawly creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. And at that point in the story, the junior angel has no reply. I mean, the very thought that God would come down to this place was beyond any comprehension. Christmas is just loaded with miracles. The angels, the star, dreams, prophecies, a virgin having a baby. But those miracles are really just kind of like signposts around to the greatest miracle of all, and that's that we who live in this world have really been visited by somebody from another world. Now, we always think if we're going to get visited from some other people from another world, they're going to be like Martians or some zombies out of somewhere. Uh, that's a load of bogus hooey, too. Sorry, hooey, I didn't mean to use your name in vain. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's just, that's just not true. I mean, someone from the world of light has come into our world of darkness. I mean, someone from the eternal came into the temporary. Someone from heaven came down to live on earth. And the Bible explains this in so many different ways. I mean, I've got a list here of, I want to see, one, two, three, four, five, six, I think seven Bible passages. For example, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's part of it. Uh, Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Or 1 Timothy 3, God was manifest in the flesh. Or John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, theologians, theologians, those are people that are smarter than most of us, theologians have a word for this. They call the birth of Christ the incarnation. The incarnation. That word literally means that God came to earth and shared our humanity. You want to think about it another way? The infinite became finite. The immortal became mortal. The creator became the created. The omnipotent lived outside a young girl's womb. The almighty became a helpless little baby. The deity was wrapped in rags. The king of the universe was laid in a feeding trough. I love this saying by Martin Luther. He said, He whom the worlds could not enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. Let me say that again. He whom the worlds could not enwrap, yonder lies in Mary's lap. That's the incarnation. That is the central miracle of our Christian faith. See, if you can believe that God visited our planet 
as a baby 2,000 years ago, you will have no problems whatsoever with what we believe beyond that. The resurrection is absolutely no problem for those who believe in the Incarnation. But I tell you, I, there I know a lot of people who today who really doubt whether Jesus was truly the Son of God. And guess what? They haven't got the vaguest idea where they're going when they die. I'm going to say it again. The resurrection is no problem at all for those of us who truly believe in the Incarnation. See, the Christian worldview, or I may call it the biblical worldview, is, is utterly supernatural. If you take the supernatural stuff out of this Bible, all you got is a religious book club. We might as well sit around and read a book like The Shack or something like that. And we believe this world is not the real world. But we believe that Jesus came from the real world to live in our world so we could go to his world and get out of this world. I mean, Richard Dawkins, that guy I mentioned before, he doesn't believe any of this. Why? Because he doesn't believe that there is another world out there. He thinks this world right here is all there is, but he's wrong. But the eyes of his heart don't want to be opened to truth. And from a Christian point of view, he has missed the central fact of the universe, God. I mean, how smart is that? That's kind of like deciding to major in geology but never looking for rocks. That's like studying astronomy and never looking at the stars. Or it's like studying math but leaving out all the numbers. I mean, some smart people are really, really stupid. You know that? I'm going to close with these words of a guy named Bishop Hillary. No relation to Hillary Clinton. Bishop Hillary. Everything that seems empty is full of the angels of God. Now, sometimes the world seems very, very empty. And sometimes we feel very much alone. And then, suddenly, suddenly, when we least expect it, kind of like candid camera, huh? When we least expect it, when we've almost given up all hope, when we're tired or bored or cranky or, or whatever, God breaks through and the angel choir starts to crank up. I mean, they sang or spoke to startled shepherds one night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And guess what? The angels still sing today for everybody who wants to hear them. Can you hear the angels singing? If you can, I can tell you probably what they're telling you. They're, they're bringing good news from the other side. Good news of great joy. The best news the world has ever heard. When the family walked 100 feet down that long aisle at Trinity, Friday, following the casket of their Husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, the family sang, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. I'm just telling you this morning, friends, if you listen with all your heart, you can still hear them singing. Glory to God in the highest. 
and peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. Let's pray. Jesus, we kneel before you in utter amazement. Thank you that because of your birth we know that our Father is with us. And may we welcome you not in a cold manger of a heart, but in a heart so pure, a heart warm with love for one another. Jesus, you are the tender, holy babe, the shepherd of your flock, the healing person, the Christ of the people, the world-pervading God, the Emmanuel God with us. Jesus, you are the glory of eternity who now shines among us, the Son of the High King of the universe, the splendor of the Father, the source of life, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor. You are the Son of Mary and the pattern of goodness and friend of all. You are brother of the poor and champion of the justice and joy of the angels. In Jesus and you we see God's face, a gentle, smiling, strong, loving, obedient, smiling face on Jesus. You radiate what the world so needs today, gentleness and tenderness and light and hope. In you may we find gentleness as the answer to violence and tenderness as the answer to ill will and light as the answer to lies, hope as the answer to despair. Your mercy brings forgiveness. So have mercy on us. Bring us to true sorrow for our sins. And give us eternal life. For your glory fills eternity. Your glory fills the universe. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray all of this. Amen.